0: Welcome to Infinitely Before a Book. Today, we're talking about Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb with my friend Miranda. Today's guest, Miranda, is another familiar voice from season one. Welcome back to the show, Miranda. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Thank you. It's so great to catch up with you again. What have you been up to since we last chatted on the podcast? I was thinking about
1: that because it's been about a year and... I am so much more rested. (laughs) Good. I'm glad to be in a clearer frame of mind. And what? I mean, it's the time of year for homemade Halloween costumes and uh, pie day around the corner. So I'm doing lots of really important things.
0: (laughs) That's exciting. Because last time we talked, your youngest child had just turned one or was about to turn one. Yep, was about to turn one
1: now yeah. it's about to turn two so oh my goodness. every year is a little
0: better <laughs> as they get more and more independent at least they can um start caring for themselves i guess yeah maybe sleeping in a little bit too hopefully for your sake
1: right better sleep <laughs> more independence i'm all about that you know some people love the newborn phase i'm just like are you, are you <laughs> potty trained can you ambulate can you feed yourself are you three okay good we're set
0: yeah that's great. And your girls are so great. They're so fun. I got to see them. I guess it was this summer sometime when we were out there, we got to see them. So yeah, I'm um, really
1: lucky. I have good girls and a really supportive spouse. So that's, that helps. I mean, even in the best circumstances, it's still hard
0: (laughs) for sure. For sure. Parenting is a marathon, I think. Um, so good job. (laughs) You're, you're still in the race.
1: I am still here. And um, we fill our days. My um, my oldest does half day preschool, and so she'll be in the kindergarten realm next year. We'll have to catch up then.
0: That's so That's cool. There. Yeah.
1: And we read a lot together, which I I know you already know, but
0: yeah, you're. We talked about it last year too. You run a a book Instagram for children's literature, and you got, And when I think of children's literature, I think of you a lot because I know you guys are big read aloud fans, um, and do a lot of reading. Definitely. Yes. So much. And, um,
1: just really glad to share with other families and educators. And I've started, um, putting together book lists for other companies based on themes. And I love that. I'm so glad to be able to continue to share the love because it starts young and, and if it doesn't start young, that's okay too. It can be fostered over time, Mm -hmm. Um, but it helps to have some solid, go-to's whether you're you know buying them or getting them from the library uh, just to know that hey, here's somebody who's vetted them and chosen the best out of out of the best.
0: That's great. I love reading book lists so I can only imagine making a book list would be really fun um, especially when you get to choose your favorites and things and pick through all the
1: all the books. Yeah, I just did two I mean it's end of October and I just finished my two Christmas book lists, totally separate lists for two different companies. And a lot, I mean, I've been collecting children's Christmas picture books for 20 years. So, um, it's like, I've been training for these two posts for <laughs> decades.
0: <laughs> it reminds me, I went to our friends of the library book sale here in town and I only, uh, we were kind of planning to ha- do, um, go to a Halloween party afterwards and the week just kind of really got away from me. And so I only like gave myself 45 minutes to an hour to go to this book sale and I thought that was going to be plenty but I walk in and they actually held it at the state fair or the county fairgrounds in this big pavilion and it was just stocked full of books and I was like uh bad idea (laughs) so it was just really funny so I was like well Because I was thinking, I wish I had some of Miranda's recommendations or someone else's recommendations that I could find things. But it was over my head, so um, I I came away with a few things. But I next time spend the entire day at the book sale. So good to know,
1: right? It's those things can be really overwhelming and huge. I've been to a couple of those before, and they are like stadium sized. Um, and people bring these roll away things it's an event it's it's definitely a sport
0: yeah so i was kind of standing next to some teachers who were going through some of the books and they were talking to each other and someone's like well you're going to come tomorrow when it's half price book day or the bag day or whatever and she's like i value my sanity too much to go on those days cuz i guess it's just a madhouse of people buying up everything and you know the bag days especially just you can get, you know, a whole bag full of $5 for $5 or something. So it's just this mad rush.
1: Right. And the one that I went to, there were quite a few people looking to buy to resell, you know, doing lots of Etsy or eBay. So I mean, there Hmm. are people there who this is turning a profit for them. Now I'm I don't think you were doing that. So people are there for all kinds of different reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really, it was really fascinating. I had never—I think I'd been to one when I was a teenager or something where I grew up, but it was like a room in the library, and maybe it had, maybe it was a longer period of time, and so they weren't as worried about volume. But this was huge, so I was I was shocked.
1: <laughs> anyway, well, what did you come away with? Anything great? I mean, because I know you don't hold on to physical things very yeah. much. You're kind of a minimalist. But
0: I am a minimalist. My goal was to get some children's books. My husband kind of joked, you know, we're white. Um, and he said, well, it looks like our, our kids aren't going to know any white people <laughs> about white people or something. And he well, was joking because I tried to, I was really intentional about getting, trying to find stories about people of color from people of color, especially, but different books that featured other cultures and things like that. So I don't know that I got really great books, but.
1: <laughs> well, that's okay. It's a start and own voices and, you know, diversity and all of that in children's literature has made such strides mm-hmm. in the last eight, even five years. Yeah. Just to see how that's changed. We actually got a really beautiful one in the mail recently. I hope to feature. I think it's called, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Solway hmm. S u l w e I believe about a really rich dark chocolate african American girl and just wanting to be look like her family, but she didn't and hmm. the story that's woven into it is um very beautiful, kind of like folklore and just a special kind of magic and my and my oldest just wants to read it, and I think that's hmm. so neat that people who aren't of the same color or who have different ethnicities can find that a piece of themselves in a story where it's not necessarily their race. So go you. So you're like yeah, ahead, you. Of <laughs> you're <totally laughs> ahead of the game.
0: You're um, totally ahead of the game. But I, I did wish, you know, it was just so overwhelming. I did wish I had a few lists and had better prepared myself, but you live and learn. So <laughs> oh, well, what are you with all your young child rearing going on over there? Do, what are you having time to read to read? What are you reading lately?
1: <laughs> so I just finished Uh, testament by margaret atwood oh yeah the follow-up to handmaid's tale and i probably if i had gone back and done it over would have liked to reread a handmaid's tale Mm -hmm. because i haven't read that since college so it's been a few a few years yeah (laughs) but just to get back into this you know dystopian society yes I i did it as an audiobook and then i also just picked up and I'm a few chapters into Circe by Madeleine yeah. Miller. Maybe you're familiar with that one.
0: That's on my re- to read list. I bought, I have the audiobook of that one of Circe, but I haven't started it yet. It's been on my to read list for a while, but I do have the audiobook, um, when I'm ready for it, I haven't read the Testaments yet. But you and I did the last book that we did was a Margaret Atwood book too. It was Alias yes. Grace. Yes. And one of the reasons that is stopping me from reading the Testaments is I wanted to go back and read The Handmaid's Tale, which isn't very long, but it is one of those things where I feel like it's a project to read both of them, and I haven't gone back because I, I feel like I, I would to want do to do be that. reminded.
1: Yes. Okay. I think you are wise, and I just kind of jumped in because I was so excited, and of course all the. Uh, wonderful marketing and media hype and PR about the book coming yes. out. And so I dove in and a lot of it was kind of really scratching back into the fog of memory.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I haven't been following the TV show on Hulu with Handmaid's Tale. So I don't know if people who are up to speed on that, if they feel like yeah, the neither. book is a companion in that, like if they if they're prepared for the book, I guess, because of that. But I don't know. I'd have to, re- I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to become involved in the in the TV series. I don't really have space for yet another TV series to get to attach to. Although I have heard great things about that show.
1: Me too. I, um, I don't think I'll get into it either, but I, we were actually, I was just talking with another friend about this whole Margaret Atwood phenomenon in the last few years, just really going gangbuster. It was fun to hear a little snippet of her voice throughout the audio book as she read the Chapter oh, titles, cool.
0: yeah. So, are you an audiobook fan? I don't remember that about you. Oh yes, yes. yes okay, yes. <laughs> I
1: love okay. Libby and Overdrive and Audible and all the apps we've probably talked about before.
0: Oh yes, yes.
1: Okay, it is helpful when you know you have to do household things. And but seriously, I picked up hardcover and I was really pleased because it felt gripping pretty immediately, mm-hmm. and I'm to turn my attention to this I was kind of halfway through a middle grade novel that just was not grabbing me and mm-hmm. I mean I'd already dedicated half of the book and I'm just getting to a point in my life where I have to say okay I'm done like <laughs> it's okay yeah. to not finish a book <laughs> it's okay yes move on
0: and it's an incentive when you have a book that you do want to read right there it's like why am I wasting my time on this book I don't want to read when the book I want to read is right there
1: yes exactly well and then sometimes I feel a little bit of maybe pressure is not the right, right word but some sort of an obligation when publishers send me books to read them I don't have any contracts or things like that so I try to give most of them a shot and and some of our wins and some of them just aren't you are you still in is it three book clubs or is it just two right
0: now I'm just in the one book club oh, okay. um that's a local one through my library. I had a long distance one that you were a part of for a little while. That has kind of, a lot of changes have happened in people's lives. And so we've kind of, we put that on the back burner. But maybe it'll re- it'll rise up again someday, but but it's it's on the back burner for now. And then I was part of a church book club when I was a place we were living in. Before this, we just moved. But there doesn't appear to be a book club through church here. So okay. I'm just through the one with the library. So but it's been really good. I was nervous about it, but actually people were really nice and it's actually pretty active discussion. I had gone to a library book club back when I lived in St. Louis. That was just real tough to get through, kind of. (laughs) So I was a little worried, but this so far is good, even though some of the selections haven't been quite up my alley, at least it's a good discussion.
1: And that's really part of the reason we go to book club, right? (laughs) Even exactly. if the discussion goes off the rails or you have varying opinions, it's that conversation based on a topic, which doesn't happen in modern life, hardly ever, which, mm-hmm. so I kind of felt the need to get back into a book club this year. I think we had talked about how I had taken a couple of years off maybe from book clubs just altogether. I just had to quit. I was burnt out. So back in January, I thought, okay, I'm really going to make an effort and I live right across the street from the library. So I, at the beginning of the year, I just, they had three separate book clubs. I went and tried them all. And then I ended up kind of sticking with one, but decided the, the format for the book club is kind of an interesting one. It's just always based on a theme, like Fantasy February, or uh, let me think of another one, Appetizing April. They were very, <laughs> these alliterative months. But the thing yeah. is, you go to the book club and you have a conversation with somebody but nobody's read the same book so you're just kind of in this genre of a particular theme and yeah maybe so and so read a food memoir but this other person read something else or tried a recipe from a cookbook that doesn't really cross over so there's not a lot of meaty conversation it's just kind of like oh well did you like this what did you like about it did you not uh, so that sort of fizzled out at the end of the summer. I just thought, no, this isn't a right, this isn't the right fit either. So
0: right, I'm
1: still yeah. searching.
0: I think that, that is the thing is book clubs are pretty personal too. Like if you don't, if it does, it's not a good fit, then it becomes a chore to go.
1: Kind of like a therapist, right? You need, you need a
0: good fit. <gasps> well, that's a good transition. Are you ready to talk about our book? Oh, Sure. Maybe You Should Talk to Someone is written in a memoir style where author Lori Gottlieb, a budding psychotherapist, tells about her experience seeking out a therapist of her own to help her process through major life changes in her own life. She also gives us an in-depth look into the client-therapist relationship as she shares how she learned from her own real-life clients about the meaning of life and death. Some spoilers ahead. Miranda, actually, when we had seen each other this summer, you had said, are you going to do the podcast again? And I said, yes. And you said, I'd love to be a guest. And I said, I would love you to be a guest because I need guests. And <laughs> you were great last time. And I'd love to have you back. And you, sa- you gave me two books, I believe, to choose from. Yes. And one of them was called Three Women, I think. Is that the name oh, of it? Oh,
1: I think so. And I don't know if you read that.
0: I didn't. Okay. I put it on my to-read list, but I did not read it.
1: Well, I started it as an audiobook and I thought, this is terrible. I oh, no. hope I hope Catherine doesn't read this. <laughs> okay. So it, it was a quickly abandoned, like get my audible credit back. <laughs> I don't have the energy or space for this. So that's hilarious. Uh, it was another one of those. I, I think I just went into it a little blindly.
0: That I didn't tell you at the time. Basically, my podcast audience includes one person, my mom, who is almost my entire audience. And so the content of that book, I was like, I just kind of smiled and nodded when you described it to me. If you're interested in what it is, you can go look up the book. But I was just thinking, I cannot have my mom read this book for my podcast. You know, because I she's basically, you know, my mom and my sisters are pretty much my total audience. And sometimes my, my nine-year-old nephew. So I I listened (laughs) to the last
1: episode with, you know, talking about, um, because I had read it and it's completely, I just see the pencil right now. Educated. There we go. By West Westover. So I did listen to that. I need to be better about weighing in on the things because I always learn something every time I listen, (laughs) especially when it's a book that I've read. It's it's infinitely more helpful to have read the book. Of course.
0: But anyway, so just that was why I did not choose that book. Um, But the other book that you recommended was this book, which is um, maybe you should talk to someone. And other than hearing about it around town and the buzz that the publicist gave it, what other, was there any other specific reason that made you kind of choose this?
1: Yes, I feel like I have been in the work of trying to find a therapist or come to terms that I want to be in therapy for the last mm, maybe four years. And so when I saw this, I thought, well, maybe this will be like a, a stopgap solution. <laughs> this will mm-hmm. be something I can read on my own and have a conversation and get more into some of the meat of why therapy is helpful. And so, yes, there was definitely that personal angle of, I want to talk to somebody. There are some factors that make it difficult with life and scheduling at this current phase for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was definitely a grab for this title.
0: When you mentioned it, I'd heard a little bit mixed reviews, some good, some bad, or not bad, but just I think tepid maybe would be a better word. But I actually really enjoyed it, and I'm really glad that I read it. I was really insightful and funny, but still um, just, you know, kind, kind of meaningful at the same time, I felt like.
1: Right. Well, she puts herself in the position of patient and therapist, so she's not this omniscient therapist. She is in the trenches. She's there, which gets to the whole Brene Brown vulnerability angle and I, you know, she does start it with a very kind of funny story about boyfriend and him not making the best choice or, mm-hmm. you know, just this kind of ridiculous irony of didn't see this coming. And I was worried that the whole book was going to be about that, but it quickly transitions to, you know, this is just the kind of triggering episode. and
0: so Yeah. <laughs>
1: But her, I mean, her candor, obviously, you have to have that level of exposure when you're writing something like this.
0: Was there any, like, favorite thing about the book that you had coming away from it? I mean, I
1: loved her, not really dissection, but the way she allowed the reader to become a part of the sessions with those four key patients. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I felt like that was very humanizing. And I didn't feel a lot of judgment from her. There was also one part that I wrote a note on. I think it was her first session without her advisor. And I don't remember all the particulars, but I just remember her saying something to the effect that she sat with that person in that moment and had to be okay with all of those emotions and feelings and truths. And that was kind of a turning point for her mm-hmm. in determining how she was going to approach her own
0: practice. I really liked her development. It showed her development as a therapist. And I think, I'm not really sure, it kind of felt like from the book that she was still a pretty new therapist overall. It sounded like she'd been practicing for maybe a year or two on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked how she showed how she was getting better. As a, It kind of, I feel like sometimes therapy is seen as... therapist has all the answers or maybe not the answers but the right approach and they're kind of sitting there waiting for you to come around to the right idea you know but I felt like it really showed how much the therapist is a human too and they are floored by some of the things you're saying or don't know how to react just how you might not know how to react or they're just learning how to help you best and it's kind of this it's a relationship more than it is a helper, sort of sort more of like a transactional relationship. It's it's actually, you have to get to know each other, you have to understand each other, you have to be willing to open up. It's just kind of it's more of a friendship in a way with Mm -hmm. professional boundaries than you might consider a typical doctor, where I just am going to get antibiotics or, you know, a physical from.
1: That reminds me of the line from that song if you weren't my therapist would you be my friend or do you have to like me because i pay you <laughs> i don't know if you know that song i don't know definitely my head worth putting in the show notes or uh, which song looking is that? To youtube i think it's called um if you were my therapist or something okay.
0: i don't know this I'll was
1: big to... back in the i think mid to late 90s i might
0: like recognize that. it with the music but i don't recognize the the lyric itself yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's so kind great. of like a sing-song um Yeah. So, but there is this part where she talks about the therapists, of course, are subject to all the same issues as their clients. They have, did they have trouble? Did they get a troubling text before the session? Mm -hmm. Have they had a fight with their spouse? Did they get into a fender bender? You know, they bring in to the session, they aren't a blank slate or they aren't this omniscient being they are in life with you and in that moment of processing and i think i mean we kind of all know from the outset why a therapy can be helpful it's a essentially it's a neutral third party who is there to help you process Mm -hmm. and to let you do the work and i i think people go into therapy hopefully knowing that not everybody but they come to it later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The work is probably a good 80%, maybe even higher on the part of the patient. And that, for me personally, that is slightly intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) Am I ready for that? Do I want to do that? Yes, I do. But no, I don't. And the back and forth vacillating. So
0: that reminds me, I, I was going to ask you if there were any experiences with therapy that you had you that you wanted to share. I know you, you said that you were looking and seeking for an optimal time and place in person for therapy. But I was just going to share that my experience with therapy, it was, I've only had a few, but it's they've all been very profound and very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one was early on in our marriage, we had couples counseling. Marriage was super, super tough for us. And I think we've both shared this publicly, but that we've been to counseling for that. And I remember it got to a point where we did not know what was going to happen to our marriage. And we had just not been married more than a year or two. And my sister is actually a social worker. And she said, she just kind of told me like, look, if you want this to work out, There's only one way through, and it's through therapy. And she's, but that she also told me, it's going to get harder before it gets better. And that was Mm -hmm. really, really helpful because it did, it did get harder. Mm -hmm. Going to therapy and bringing up all these issues and, and bringing things to the light and looking at them from different perspectives and working through the homework that she gave us definitely was hard, but it was so, so valuable. And I think, you know, like we both are just so grateful for that experience that we, that we did that because I, I don't know what would have happened. Um, I think there was a good chance that we, our marriage wouldn't have survived and not to say that it's going to save every marriage. I think some marriages, mm-hmm. um, that's not their course, but for us, it was super, super helpful. And it helped us learn how to communicate early on in our marriage when we weren't communicating well. Um, and then another time was when I was in, it was in my, I was in my career and I was just feeling insecure and not sure that I could do, kind of keep going in my career. And I just didn't know what I needed to do. I just felt stuck. And so I, I utilized, luckily my company at the time had what's called an empo- employee assistance program, an EAP. And you can do lots of things through the EAP and get legal counsel and financial advice and various things but one of the things that they often offer is therapy sessions or counseling and so I did I I got a a counseling session and I was able to just have that cathartic release and um but my experience was different I guess except with exception of marriage counseling which did last a couple sessions although you know I was a student at the time we were using our student mental health center and I kind of Basically, graduated out of that. So we couldn't keep going with that counselor. Luckily, oh, okay. it provided the foundation that we needed to move on. But, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have a long term relationship with that EAP counselor either. So it's kind of interesting. Her in the book, Lori Dr. Gottlieb, she talks about having a relationship with a counselor. And that's not something that I have been familiar with. And also, the counselors that I've worked with have all been social workers, like licensed clinical social workers, and not. PhD psychotherapist. So I don't know if that's a difference or if, and I guess everything is different, but it was interesting to see the long-term relationship that she had with her patients because that was something that was new to me.
1: Right. And I think it depends on the situation, right? You had a really helpful experience with marriage counseling early in your marriage, which the timing of that was probably impeccable. Just getting through that phase and you graduated out of it and maybe that was all you needed at that time my personal experience with therapy is one that I feel like I was sort of kind of pushed into it when my dad died. So I think I maybe went to like one or two sessions that they had kids who'd lost a parent and those Mm -hmm. I found just horrifying and I didn't want to go. And Mm -hmm. so I don't even really consider that. But, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then when I was about, 20, I, I think I was going through just this tumult of, is is my life going where I want to go? Or do I know which way I should go for my degree in college? And I think I was experiencing some depression. So I started seeing someone, but it was another situation where I was sort of hesitant No, not sort of. I was very hesitant to enter into that kind of relationship of uh, this is admitting my my problem or my weakness and and fault. And so I went and I think maybe I saw her for three months or so and then just kind of self-diagnosed. Oh, everything's fine. I'm just going to move on with my life. So in those particular instances, part of me now... My 40-year-old self, fast forward a few decades, is like, well, would would I have, if I had chosen to stay in those particular sessions at those particular times in my life, would that have been more transformative than backing away? You know, would I have Mm -hmm. seen the positive repercussions of that now, all these years later, had I chosen to? And I don't know you know, that's a unanswerable question. But for me, in this current phase of life and motherhood, and um, I, yeah, I've wanted to see someone for a few years. And it's just a matter of putting in the work to find Mm -hmm. the right relationship and getting there at a time when, you know, I can have childcare for my kids. And there's, you know, there's a lot of factors. But I do think, for me, that type of a relationship that I want is a long term one. It's a I'm Mm going to get in, I'm going to find a good fit and we're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. be in this for a year, maybe longer and work out all the, all the kinks.
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've known um, some people or one person I'm thinking of who had, who had a long-term relationship with their therapist. I I, I know they've moved, so I'm not sure if that is still their therapist, but I am kind of jealous of that because I do think there's just so much. I, I think we all should just have therapy as part of you know our regular routine that should be included in a lot of things just because I think it's so good and it helps us. It's so easy to get into our own head and see our own way of seeing things, I think. And just like Gottlieb in the book, you know, she saw this breakup one way and she mm-hmm. could only see it that one way mm-hmm. until someone else comes in and says, Well, have you looked at it from a different angle?' And she was resistant to looking at it from a different angle. But eventually, she's able to see it from a different angle. And not to say that her original experience was invalid, because it was truly valid, but that there's more than one way to interpret the story. And there's hidden meaning and depth that is, while you could just live your life being resentful of a boyfriend, for example, the therapist offered another way of, well, you could Use this as a something to learn about yourself, and something to learn, and become, and grow from. Essentially, so I mm-hmm. think that's having that long-term relationship is something that sounds wonderful <laughs> in a way um, and interesting. The benefits from that? Well, it's
1: probably like many relationships, they develop over time and require consistent nourishment and work. And there's really no way of getting around that. I hope to find that. And I love that she, that her particular scenarios in her book kind of puts a light on how valuable that can be. And I agree with you hundred percent. This um, attention to mental health should be part of, our, I wish it was part of our culture. I wish it was part of our way of life, I, I, just the same way I wish there was greater support postpartum for women mm-hmm. in this country. There is so much benefit from acknowledging the emotional piece of ourselves that we so often just want to run to the ground or ignore or put on the back burner because there's, you know, a hundred other things that take precedence. I I really, even though it was kind of a a very strained relationship with that. Um, let's see. What was his name? Patient of hers that was just so
0: arrogant. It was arrogant. John.
1: And is that the name she uses yeah. for him? Yeah. He didn't want to be there and everybody else was an idiot. Yes. And yes. He, I mean, he really got on my nerves, but I thought he is so reflective of this Um, society we built of putting our problems off on other people right this is not my Mm -hmm. problem this is everybody else's and if they would just respond to the world differently or um, have more intellect about it then things would work out better and Mm -hmm. I just by the end I found myself really liking him and of course Mm -hmm. there's this horrible tragedy that happened in his life that he's carrying on and blaming himself for and living with that shame and all of that comes up in therapy and they get to a place in the in the session where this comes to light. And I think everything shifts after that mm-hmm. for the two of them in, in their conversations. So th- this kind of growth that we're talking about is just it takes time.
0: You know, I thought it was interesting. He was so resistant to therapy. And I can see his personality. I mean, ironically, it was so off-putting. But I see myself in that sometimes of just thinking oh, yeah. that everyone's <laughs> an idiot around me. Why can't they get it together? Yes. Um, which, you know, so it's something to take into my into my life and, and maybe re- re- rectify and remedy. But I, I do, he was so resistant. He didn't want anyone to know. And I thought about what you were saying earlier about how we don't have it. It's, you know, it's not common in our society to talk about and to provide mental health. And I just thought about the stigma and what you thought about. Is this something that you see amongst your peers or people you communicate with about or have you felt it personally, the stigma of therapy? It's one of
1: those things where I feel like when you learn something new, if you've ever had this experience or you like you learn to play the guitar and then suddenly like the guitar is everywhere mm-hmm. or you learn a new phrase in a different language and suddenly it's on the news and mm-hmm. it's in a book and it's everywhere. So I feel that way about therapy because there have been a couple of times where I've seen emails come through on the church listserv where somebody will say, Hey, does anybody have any recommendations? And then, and so this will come about every few years and, and then there'll be a list provided and then even in my own search, I've reached out to people I know locally and they'll say, oh, well, yeah, I heard this person is great. Or I went to this person a few years ago. So it's kind of like, as soon as you expose it, then it's everywhere and people feel a little bit safer to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But just in common practice, no, nobody wants to Nobody wants to – I mean, you're fine to say, well, I have a dentist appointment. I can't make that. But nobody says, well, I have therapy.
0: Right. Like, <laughs> right. No, I think there is that. And I, and I, sometimes I feel like – and maybe it's just because of that. I sometimes feel like it's getting – the stigma is getting weaker. And maybe that's just because when I open up about it to people and then they, then they tell me their story. Or they say, oh, well, I do this too. And so it feels like it's less of a stigma. But I don't know that it is getting any weaker because – we're still not open with it, like you say, where you said, Oh, I have a dentist appointment, you know, and like I would think nothing of saying that. But if I were to tell someone, Well, I have a therapy appointment or something, it does give me a pause, or I don't want to out someone who's in therapy, which is interesting, right? <laughs> because I would be quick to out them, not that quick. I mean, I've worked in healthcare long enough to have HIPAA rule my life. But if I knew someone I knew um, was sick or needed help, I would not hesitate to tell a friend, Hey, we need to help this person out because of this Mm -hmm. reason.
1: Well, there is so much emphasis and I can only speak really to Western culture because this is where I live in the United States is this. You have to do everything by yourself and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, not only do it well, but Excel and you don't need the help of others. I mean, I referenced it earlier and I'll say it again, but If we took mental health, regardless of gender, and uh, mother's health postpartum more seriously, I mean, can you imagine the ripple effect that would have Mm -hmm. in our communities, in Mm -hmm. our homes? I mean, that is, and I think of it as, well, we're happy to just say, well, go get a prescription. That's easy. It's not going to take the time. Because- therapy is a huge investment of time. And I've run into that in my own situation. There was probably about a year and a half ago where I had set up some appointments. I had done the legwork. I had made, you know, I had gone through the effort of seeing if they were covered by our insurance and how close they were to our house and getting an appointment when I could have childcare. And then, you know, something happens. Like one of my kids gets sick, or uh, my babysitter cancels it's just all of that legwork and then you feel completely defeated and Mm -hmm. then you feel like I have to go through it again or I have to set it up again and I but this is already so hard because it's a stigma or I shouldn't be needing this but I do and so you're just caught in this mental tension Mm -hmm. of wanting to do something for yourself but having all these other sirens of responsibility that you just get sucked back into the cycle of, well, it's not that important when in reality it is, I mean, that is what's the important thing. And so I, I am right there in that kind of cycle. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have a great solution, but I do love that this book just reaffirmed the idea that this relationship with a therapist to get through the issues and the things that really are nagging at a person that they might not even know about, takes time.
0: Yeah. And I feel like her book is laid out like a therapy session. We find out at the beginning that she has this presenting problem, which is basically boyfriend and how he's broken up with her. Mm -hmm. And then as we go through, we learn more and more layers of her life and you know her history and we we understand her more as a person and then we understand that there's other issues going on that are underlying her fear of death and her medical history and the fact that she's had this book deal that she can't that she hasn't fulfilled on and all these things come out and it's it kind of is like you're saying it's this unwrapping and it's like a process of uncovering all the layers and i really thought that she did that really well Um, Mm -hmm. throughout the book, just uncovering herself.
1: Her pacing was really well done because you can't just dump that all in the first three chapters. I I found it so fascinating. And of course, anybody who's taking a psychology one-on-one class or any sort of class about uh, mental health always gets to the family of origin, right? You're just always going to have to talk about your parents Mm and therapy Mm -hmm. and of course she does and it's one of those I mean it's the formative relationships right it's Mm -hmm. what we build off of and our associations with uh, gender and identity and so many things and I thought I just remember thinking ah, can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's gonna be there.
0: It is. It's the things that we take with us. We don't. We think we've moved on, but they're always gonna be with us. They're part of. They're part of what make us h- human and what make us us.
1: It's that Amanda Palmer song, right? Runs in the fam- family. It's hiding inside you.
0: Exactly. All these
1: song references. I don't Man, know.
0: we need a whole like album to go accompany this podcast. <laughs> there you go. I was kind of surprised. I don't know why this surprised me, other than it just seemed like a theme that was running through it about sort of the theme of death and loss and uncertainty mm-hmm. and maybe i don't know maybe that's just because at the heart of why we feel like sometimes we need therapies because that's the root of what we're going for um but it was just it was so interesting i thought of the movie the disney movie coco and mm-hmm. it's about day of the dead and how that from the movie's perspective i've never experienced it in real life but essentially the idea is that your family lives on through the memories that are kept alive by the living family and so when you die your value and ability to have that eternal life comes through your family's ability to remember you and to tell your story was there anything that you thought of with those and along those themes that you learned from the book
1: well I think you're right there is definitely a theme of death but I didn't (laughs) I didn't really clue into that till I saw your kind of show notes. Yeah. And <laughs> then I thought, oh, aha, of course. And we, so one of her patients, of course, is dying. She has cancer and she's, she's seeing her through these sessions. And uh, it's just very touching how she talks about how much she will miss. I think her name's Julie when she's gone. And I, yes, yeah, Lori Gottlieb talks about her own I guess mortality and I suppose I personally think about that but not in a in the idea of like fear or anything like that just the reality um, going back to the idea of keeping memory alive and maybe that's what it is because she mentions there's kind of four main points that can kind of summarize why people come to therapy I don't know if you remember this about the book but it goes down to death, isolation, freedom, and meaninglessness. Some of those certainly tie into each other and weave in together. But this whole idea of, well, people want to feel like their life has purpose and meaning. So they want to know that it's not all for naught or that it all just ends a death or anything like that. Rita was like just kind of this heartbreaking story. Yeah. And she, you know, she wanted this connection to other people and kind of sought it out with her neighbors, but then didn't want to get too close. I saw a lot of myself in arena. just Mm -hmm. this kind of like, I want this connection with people, but I don't want to get too close and I'm pulling back. And Mm -hmm. then um, if I really expose myself and they see who I truly am, well, then that horror of, of my past bad mistakes. And, but she gets to it eventually. She is, Rita is just this classic withholding joy from herself, you know, just refusing to allow that into her life. And because I think she is living in this state of isolation and this state of, well, it's just safer here.
0: And that she so, deserves it, I think, too. Yeah, she felt yeah. that she deserved pain and isolation well, because of her past. Right, right. And
1: I liked that it wasn't this happy tie-up with her children, but Mm -hmm. it was a place for her to come to conclusion and move forward and to say, past mistakes and choices I made are part of me, and this is who I am now, Mm -hmm. and this is, and that letter she writes to, is his name Marvin? I
0: think so, yes.
1: Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was, Uh... again, kind of just a heartbreaking character, but... So relatable, like right. all of these patients of hers, and of course herself, have these elements of their humanity woven in, which I think just also made the book really sing.
0: I really liked each of them, and I think the key takeaway from from them and her and and Lori's own experience with therapy is: you're coming. You think you're coming to therapy sometimes to change your situation or to change other people around you. Which is what John wanted. He wanted his wife to all these idiots around him. He wanted his wife to change her behavior, and it really is coming for yourself at the end of the day. And you're the only one who's going to change through therapy. And I think that's that's a tough and painful process to come through to realize that you think the. I mean, I remember some of the times when I went to therapy. It was like I wanted everyone else to change around me so that I was happier, but ultimately I had to change myself. And part of that is giving a different perspective on what is already happening that I can't change so that I am happier and, and changing some of the behaviors and working together to change behaviors.
1: And maybe some people can go into therapy with that mindset, but even if they do, there has to be moments where people feel like, oh, well, I'm not the problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so I can change all these other people or the situation. And so it's, it's the doing the work and putting in the effort and i think it's worthwhile
0: did you have a favorite character of the of the people who she presented
1: i liked wendell her therapist isn't there a moment where they dance in one of their sessions and i just thought how moving that was and it allowed her to see the way other you know the way someone else does therapy personally though i don't think i would want to see her as my therapist i think i would want to see wendell
0: Really? That's it. Why <laughs> yeah. do you say that?
1: I think that just goes for therapy in general. I don't know that I want to talk to a woman. I think I want to talk to a man. Hmm. So That's interesting.
0: I've only ever talked to women therapists. Yeah,
1: so I, I don't know. That's just some kind of a suspicion I have about how, how the sessions would go or how my um, development in them would pan out
0: <laughs> so. other than the theme of like sort of death loss and uncertainty and things that i noticed the other theme was change and growth and i feel like not only did her did her patients change and grow and she kind of outlined that and how that happened and, and the work that takes to get there but you know you see the growth in herself as well than the author and her not just getting therapy from wendell but as you, as you kind of alluded to, learning how other therapists work and becoming stronger as a professional as well, which is really kind of interesting.
1: Well, and also she was able to seg and somehow get out of that bad book deal for her. She was able to move beyond that. And I liked that. Yeah, the whole book felt relatable. and But then again, it also felt as though the humanity and complexity of human stories is just part of the human experience I don't think there is a person on the planet an adult who would not benefit from some form of therapy I think there is just so many things that happen in our lives and our society and just are growing up and things that we can't control and then we get to a place where we can control them but Mm -hmm. have these old habits that have been established and so I just think maybe this is a starting place maybe everybody can just read this book yes we can go from there.
0: Definitely. Well, I really appreciate you um, recommending this book to me and for coming on the podcast and talking to me about it.
1: And it's completely mom safe. So there you go.
0: I know. Yeah, exactly. I have to keep that in mind when we recommend books. (laughs) My own mother might be reading this book, Uh, but yes. (laughs) So now is the time where I like to give recommendations to our listeners. And it's kind of just things. What is making you happy? It can be a book, a movie, a TV show, a food, um, just anything that you're thinking of or that has been making you happy lately. It doesn't have to be an, a physical item either, but I thought I would start off asking you, Miranda, what is making you happy lately? Um. So
1: <laughs> this is going to just show all of my I don't know, OCDC, maybe, tendencies. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy that finally, after a few years, I paid $16 to buy bright white grout recoloring stain. So (laughs) I toothbrushed it on the grout in my shower last weekend. And I kid you not, it is just white as all get out. I mean... (laughs) That is awesome. And it makes me so happy. Yes. So that is that is my pledge of support for this product. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's the brand name? Is there a brand name specifically? Oh, uh, what's it
1: called? It's called Polyblend, like bright white grout renewal. And I think I heard about it years ago on Young House Love and just kind of filed it away in my brain. And then finally, I got some. It didn't take very long to apply did it and then you have to let it set for amount of time it just is a world of difference I mean we only have one bathroom in our small little house but Mm -hmm. it and then I also had my husband redo all the caulking so between those two things nice that you know is amazing and making my life so happy
0: oh I love that I I also (laughs) have followed young house love they also have a podcast now Um, and so I enjoy their recommendations. That is something we're renting right now. And so, but our, our showers could use a little love. So maybe I'll, maybe you'll inspire me to, to go go do some things like that.
1: It's one of those so satisfying. It's probably like pressure washing your siding. It's just satisfying. (laughs) You can see instantaneous results and it just feels like you, you know, have a $20,000 renovation for 16 bucks.
0: That is, hey, you know what? (laughs) That is awesome.
1: (laughs) It's a good feeling. On On the other side, I make these pumpkin raisin cookies probably like every other week this time of year. Oh, really? And I know some people might think, oh, that's such a weird combination. It's supposed to be pumpkin chocolate chip, but these are like hearty with whole wheat and oatmeal and flaxseed and
0: just really yummy that sounds delicious you'll have to share the recipe with me somehow and if i can put it in the show notes i will but pumpkin raisin (laughs) cookies sound delicious
1: they are delightful i just throw them in the freezer and you know breakfast cookies hey
0: cookies for breakfast can't you can't go wrong
1: i recently let's see finished. So I need a new show because I just finished Living With Yourself, which was, you
0: know, it was okay. What platform was that on? Netflix. And is it fiction or nonfiction?
1: So it's fiction. I think there might be
0: eight episodes
1: in the first season, but uh, there were a couple plot things that I found predictable, but it was an okay season. Was that the
0: Paul Rudd show? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. It sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it and I haven't I haven't been following that, but okay. So living with yourself.
1: Yes. So, but I need other show recommendations (laughs) for sure. Somebody mentioned the good Catholic recently. So I think that might be up on my radar. Interesting. Also on Netflix, I think.
0: Yeah. I think my Netflix lately has been very rerun oriented. I've been watching reruns of the office and reruns of parks and recreation Oh, so so great. I've I've kind wrong. of just vegged <laughs> on T V watching lately. It's it's mostly been a way to totally tune out and, and and zone out. So
1: Well, do you did you ever get
0: into the Great British Baking Show or Call the yes. Midwife or any of that? Well, yes, the Great British Baking Show, Call the Midwife. Um I haven't gotten into it. I I've seen a couple episodes or two. I, I think I would really like it other than birth trauma sometimes isn't my favorite kind of trauma to read about. But um, anyway. but Or to watch. <laughs> or yeah. to watch. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think I think it could be. I've heard so many good things about Call the Midwife.
1: Yeah. It is great. And um, I mean, they're not related, but that and the Great British Bacon Show has definitely inspired some culinary feats from uh, my five-year-old. I'll just Going oh to the that's great like oh what are you making i yeah i had no idea okay <laughs> that's perfect Let's see if great. we can salvage any of this
0: my problem when i watch great british baking shows i want to eat something while i'm watching it i
1: know probably like something that they're making right there yeah you're
0: like i just need a piece of cake right now but um but yeah so or victoria sponge you know yes. kind of sponge cake or whatever they make there for sure. With a mirror glaze. A mirror glaze. Yes, exactly. My recommendations are also cooking related. Um, one is just freezer cooking. It's something that I do. We started doing this when I was a teenager with my mom and, um, we would do these big freezer cooking meal days where we'd, you know, we'd freeze like 15 or 20 meals a, a day or weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't do that because that's too much, but (laughs) there's two of us. (laughs) When I was in St. Louis, there was this great place called time for dinner and I recommend it. It does. They basically, they prep all the dishes for you and then you go in and you, you, you decide what you're going to make. You tell them ahead of time. So they've prepped enough food for you and you just kind of plop it in the dishes and put it in the freezer and you take it home and you cook it. And it's like, I got, you know, 18 meals in like an hour or two. Um, so that was perfect, but now I don't live there. So I do my own, back to my own homemade version of it but the other night I just had a couple recipes and I made three recipes that are supposed to be cooked in the instant pot which I'm also learning how to use a little bit but just kind of having that stock in my freezer just like makes me feel so good and so accomplished my problem is I don't want to use it up but my goal this coming fall in this coming the coming months is just to have to kind of always use one and make one each week so um use one every week so that my weeknights go faster but then on the weekend or sometime try to double what I'm making and freeze half of it or whatever so that I can always keep that stock up so that it yes. kind of is perpetual that's the goal but um but I just love having it it makes me feel so comforting and no, then really... I love that you're doing that
1: <laughs> it actually it's funny that I saw that in the show notes and I thought we are completely on the same page because in the last month we have been doing that too and it's amazing. Like just to have those like six to eight meals in the freezer, throw it in the crock pot, throw it in the crock pot. Like I, and I really want an instant pot, but maybe I'll get there someday. Goals.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My, my, my mom brought, she had an extra instant pot and so she brought it to my house and was like, well, why don't you try it out and see if you use it? I don't use it very much. And I was like, okay. And then like, I was kind of like, she, she left it there for a long time. And I was like, does she want her instant pot back? And I was, I don't know if I was talking to my sister and she's like, no, I talked to mom about this. And she was intending to give it to you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't realize the whole time it was a gift or yeah, I didn't realize she was gonna leave it there forever. So I have an instant pot and I've been trying to overcome my fear of new things. <laughs> yeah, but, that's um, wonderful. But it's interesting. <laughs> um, related to that, like your pumpkin raisin muffin, Uh, cookies. I have a pumpkin muffin recipe that I just found. My parents are, they live the Forks Over Knives diet, which is basically a kind of a plant-based, basically vegan, um, low-fat, low-sugar, whole-grain diet. And so I was looking for some pumpkin muffins they were coming to visit. And I found this recipe. And what I love about it is my typical pumpkin muffin recipe that I've made, you know, that we've made since I was a kid is basically like pumpkin cupcakes. You know, it's got like six yeah. cups of sugar and, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's super, super sweet. And I, these are mostly pumpkin. Like I made 36 muffins and it was three cans of pumpkin. So mostly, mostly pumpkin. Wow. And I feel like it's good enough for a breakfast. Like you kind of said with the cookies, it's healthy and it's, it's a treat, but it's not too treat. There's chocolate chips in there, but I would try, it would be interesting to try it with raisins instead mm-hmm. for something even more heartier, but. Um, and I, and I froze them in the freezer. So I let them kind of thaw as I eat the rest of my breakfast. And then that's my, my kind of sweet dessert for the breakfast. I'm so glad we got to chat. This is great. I could chat for another hour. Well, thank you so much, Miranda, for coming on the show. It's been so great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Infinitely Prefer a Book. You can find more from Miranda on Instagram at bookbloom or on her blog, mybookbloom.com. You can find me on Instagram at Book or send me an email at infinitelypreforabook at gmail.com. Tell me what insights you took away from this book. Next month's read is To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han.